This episode is brought to you by DeSanto Propane. DeSanto has been serving the energy needs of upstate New York since 1937. They're a fourth generation family owned business that has prioritized dependability, reliability, and integrity. If you have energy needs, call DeSanto and tell them we sent you. Visit DeSantoPropane.com to learn more. And by the Fox family of dealerships on Route 5 in Auburn. Check out their vast inventory of new and used cars by visiting FoxDealerships.com. All right, welcome to episode 218 of the Inside the FLX podcast here on FingerLakesOne.com. I'm Josh Gerso, and this week we are getting into economic development with Vinny Esposito from Empire State Development. Vinny, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Good to be back. So uh, you're in town today. You are in, we are in Seneca Falls, of course, and you too are in Seneca Falls uh, for an event today. Walk us through what's going on today. Sure. I'm uh, going to be doing a presentation at noon at the Seneca Knitting Mill, uh, the new home in the National Women's Hall of Fame. Um, doing Governor Cuomo's 2020 State of the State and Budget Address uh, called Making Progress Happen. So we'll be going through the agenda he laid out last month for the state, uh, everything from his policy recommendations to the financial plan he's put forward that's under consideration by the legislature now. The knitting mill. Let's talk about that for a second. Sure. Um, Really pretty wild transformation if you sort of look over the last decade, but really that's sped up in the last, say, four years or so. Yeah. Um, from, From your perspective and your position, uh, when you when you see something like that and how that's come together, how, how does that make you feel? And also, uh, what kind of testament is that to the, the structures that are now in place for you guys to be able to uh, make that kind of progress? Yeah, New York State's been a big supporter financially and otherwise of that project. To me, it's emblematic of the kind of resurgence we're trying to create across upstate New York, right? I mean, that's an iconic structure, an iconic part of upstate, the canal, Seneca Falls history. And to me, the best projects are the ones that build upon the strengths of our history. And when you can physically do that by repurposing an adaptive reuse of a building for an institution like the National Women's Hall of Fame that has so much cachet, it's really something that gets me excited. I know a lot of my partners in government excited. Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul was here to announce Seneca (laughs) Falls as the Downtown Revitalization Initiative winner in the fall. And we did it there shortly after they opened the first floor space, which has been a long time coming, but is fabulous. And I think I'm even more excited having seen now the first stages of what that facility is going to be. And I just think that kind of project is, like I say, emblematic of the various things we're trying to do across the state. And I do want to talk about Seneca Falls and and them winning the the DRI here in a little bit. But uh, you mentioned that the adaptive reuse and how that's sort of become a priority. Um, Where does that fit into sort of the grand scheme of, of what... Uh, you folks are trying to accomplish at the state level in a lot of these communities that have, you know, it seems like endless space that, that is either empty or has been underutilized for a number yeah. of years. At a statewide level, um, really about five years ago under then CEO of Empire State Development, Howard Zemsky, who's now transitioned to the chair of Empire State Development, you know, he really took the bull by the horns and gave the state an economic development strategy that is a, a four-legged stool, right? So it's investing in tradable sector companies, growing job creation companies. It's investing in workforce development, aligning needs of employers with the skills people have or don't have and making sure that the best possible match, creating an innovation ecosystem so we can grow new companies, 
And the fourth piece, the one that was not as explicitly part of the state's economic development strategy was placemaking. In the recognition that identifying the areas we live and gather is as much an economic development strategy, an important one, as the others that are sort of more traditional in terms of job development. And since he's sort of taken that and made it a state strategy, we have made incredible investments, not just through the Downtown Revitalization Initiative program, which is the one that gets most of the attention, but throughout the state in places like the Buffalo Waterfront, the Rochester Riverfront, and all sorts of other places. And the best chimes those have happened, or the best examples in sort of projects, are when there's an adaptive reuse of a historic structure or historic landmark that really has some kind of identity for the community that can build upon. In my opinion, Howard, I think, has really taken that strategy to the next level. The governor's in, in, invested in it and supported it. And so this becomes a very fundamental part of all the economic development work that we do and a lot of the time that Empire State Development spends in, in the various parts of the state. Is there is there ever a feeling, given the expansiveness of what you guys are doing, that there is too much focus, at least from the outside, on the DRI and, and sort of those winners as opposed to what I would imagine is a long, long list of, of various types of work that you guys are doing throughout the region and throughout the state, for that matter? Yeah, there's always too much focus, if you will, on certain things that garner attention. The DRI, certainly in those smaller communities that have won one or competed for them, become a very important program. But the Upstate Revitalization in general, the Buffalo Billion in general, Startup New York in general, some of these programs have gotten so much attention and therefore a level of expectation that you sometimes overlook the strategic investments we're making in other parts of the state with a myriad of other state programs. You know, I, I you know, try not to get too much into numbers, but you know, the Upstate Revitalization Initiative just in the Finger Lakes region was $500 million, right? In the totality of the nine years of the Regional Economic Development Councils, there's been another almost $800 million invested. That's $1.3 billion worth of investment just in the Finger Lakes region under Governor Cuomo for the signature economic development initiatives. That's not even a fifth of the amount of funding the state has invested in various aspects of economic development when you look at transportation and infrastructure and environmentally green programs. And so we often get focused on specific things when the state is involved in a lot of ways in trying to improve our regional economies. And that's a good thing because upstate we need that kind of level of support. And that's why it's been exciting to be in this position and to try to see those various projects and initiatives come to successful fruition, which doesn't always happen. Is upstate, I'll ask you a very blunt question, is upstate right now getting enough support or as much support, maybe enough isn't the right word, um, but is upstate getting adequate support in the grand scheme of how Albany is operating at this point? That, that tends to be a flashpoint for a lot of folks yeah. in a lot of elections, yeah. um, but from your position and your point of view, what, where, where is it now versus maybe where it was four or five years yeah. ago? There's no question Upstate is getting more attention under this administration than ever before, so that's an easy answer. We can always use more. I mean, what people don't appreciate is the genuine transformation, the decades-long transformation the Upstate economy is going through and the difficulty we have had because of the headwinds we faced with the decline of the manufacturing base that existed here. That's what warrants the extra level of state support that a lot of people would prefer government not be involved in supporting projects or private companies or making investments in public-private partnerships that they feel should be market-driven. But that's why I believe the state needs to do more and the governor has continued to do more and keep emphasis and keep prioritization on things like the Upstate Revitalization Initiative or even the Lake Ontario Resiliency and Economic Development Initiative, a huge commitment of funding to the lake shore where we've seen flooding. Now, that's also a sort of environmental initiative, yeah. 
but it's also to ensure that the economic development of those communities can continue to grow. And so all the ways the state comes in and helps are warranted. We can always use more, and of course, in any environment, sharing resources, getting the amount of resources you want is always going to be a zero-sum game, and that's something that's always going to be debated, especially in Albany in a state as big and as diverse as New York. So when you look at sort of the broad picture of, of the Finger Lakes, um, when someone says to you or asks you, what is the state of economic development in the Finger Lakes? What is the economic condition of it? Uh, how, do you, how do you parse that and respond to it? Well, I, I recognize and we've talked a lot about how the state uses the term Finger Lakes versus the actual Finger Lakes, right? Yeah. So we have names for our economic development, the metropolitan regions. Right. What we call the Finger Lakes region is really the greater Rochester region. So it doesn't even include five of the 11 Finger Lakes. So recognizing we need to talk about them differently, and for the purposes of this show, I will try to distinguish between the greater Rochester economic development region yeah. and the Finger Lakes. The Finger Lakes proper, I think, has seen an incredible resurgence in its brand. Not even resurgence. It is a, I use the word transformation a lot because I truly believe that's what's happening in New York. But in the Finger Lakes region, the brand of the quality of things that are here from recreational to industrial to agricultural, I think is ahead of the curve for a lot of the other brand changes and transformations that are happening upstate. Obviously, the wine region comes to mind because I think it is a preeminent brand and a preeminent quality of product in an industry that has grown since the early 80s, right? This is not an overnight story, but has seemed like it's come overnight, especially in partnership with the changes the governor has made to the regulatory environment, allowing the craft beverage industry to grow. But you mix in the tourism growth that's occurred here on top of that, which is, of course, related, as well as some of the industrial growth that we've seen, particularly in the ag industry with the partnerships that we've formed with Cornell, both in Geneva and Ithaca. I'm incredibly bullish on what's happened in the Finger Lakes. I think it is leading the way in terms of how upstate can transform itself from the you know, manufacturing past that is still important, but not the real future that we need to see in this region. Is that part of the... It, a lot of folks still in some of these smaller, more rural communities look back at, at sort of the, the manufacturing days of, of these communities and say... You know, we need to find a way to get back there. Yeah. Is 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 looking back and trying to re re recreate that kind of a, a bad vision compared to just plowing forward with what's working and understanding that things have changed, but at the same time we have a lot of new opportunities that maybe we didn't have before. Yeah, I don't think we're ever gonna recreate what we had, right? The world has changed too much. But making things and selling them is still an important part of the economy and and certainly a resource base that this region and upstate New York should continue to build upon. It's just completely different the way it works. I mean, it's hard to go buy gold pumps and not think of the heyday of manufacturing facilities where there are massive, huge facilities, huge number of people working there. Advanced manufacturing has changed. The number of people needed to make things has changed. The technologies and innovations used to make them has changed. But that doesn't mean we're not still focused on trying to find ways to make really great things, whether it's solar panels or new types of prepackaged food, right? And all of those things are happening in upstate New York. To me, it's all manufacturing. It's a merging of industries, whether it's energy and agriculture or manufacturing. 
It's all just different technologies coming to play, and we need to leverage the resources we have, which are immense in terms of our people, the natural resources, and most especially the educational assets that we have in these communities, and grow upon them so that we have the next generation, that transformed version of those economies. And that's what's happening. It is happening. It's never happening as fast as people want it to be. And it's never even as clear unless you take a step back and have the lens pull back to a 20, 30-year view as opposed to a six-month or one-year view. Do you have any concerns for some of these communities that they aren't quite getting the, the, the wins or the attention from the, the DRI process per se, um, but they're struggling to sort of find their footing in this new new economy, I guess you'd say? Um, is there any concern for those over the over that sort of long-term vision, over that 5, 10-year, 15, 20-year window? I have concerns about all of it, right? I, I, and it's not just extended to the rural communities that haven't won a DRI. I mean, I live in Rochester. I've lived there my whole life. That's where our office is based. That is the center of the metropolitan region. I have concerns about Rochester, right? I mean, you have a poverty level that's unacceptable. You still have 50% of the kids in that city living in poverty. You have economic challenges where we're trying to compete globally in industries that are shifting their priorities and their locations. So the concerns that I have are from the largest city in my region, mm-hmm. all the way down to the smaller cities that haven't seen the type of state investment that they would like to see, and even the ones that have gotten the commitments, Geneva, Batavia, Penyan. These are long-term processes to play out to see those investments come to roost, and those investments by themselves are not going to change those communities. It's the galvanizing around a strategic vision and the infusion of some state dollars that will hopefully leverage additional investment, additional <laughs> confidence of people to locate businesses, move there, open a restaurant there. It's the whole package. Um, I, I refer to Howard Zemsky again, and he, he says a lot, and I believe this. People get focused on the dollars, Buffalo Billion, Upstate Revitalization, DRI. The planning, the strategic plan, and the community consensus around it is more important in the long run than the state dollars, which are a small part of a region's economy. Isn't that also the case because the money tends to not go as far as people imagine when they aren't actually sitting in front of a spreadsheet yeah. and, and looking at, you know, 40, 50 proposals for one community? Yeah. $10 million just really doesn't go that far, right? It doesn't. And it, it, it's exciting because $10 million is a lot of money. Right. Yeah. You get into it. You start making priorities, right? We just talked about how it's upstate getting enough vis-a-vis downstate. You start looking in one community the size of Seneca Falls. $10 million, all of a sudden you've got to make really tough decisions about where it can be prioritized. Mm-hmm. So that's why doing the process, the community input and engagement, and strategic planning, in the case of the DRI with a professional consultant, can lend to longer-term growth than just the state investments themselves. That's what I mean. That's, what, that's, the, whole, that's the whole concept that is different under Governor Cuomo with the regional councils. The DRI is a mini example of that, but it is giving each region and its stakeholders the ability to create a shared strategic plan, which truly didn't exist before, even if there was good regional collaboration, and then giving them a greater say in how the state is investing in those priorities. That's what the DRI is on a smaller level, specifically focused on revitalization of a community. So when you look at economic development and how that happens under the under the system right now, um, when you see how... How do you guys approach striking a balance between jobs, finding you know the right players who are going to bring some jobs into the equation, and that organic growth that it seems like there's more of a hunger for now than there has been before in terms of, you know, it seems like a lot of taxpayers are very interested in seeing smaller, maybe fewer jobs promised up front, but more organic growth in the long term. How do you sort of balance those two visions and, and bring them together so that 
the proposals and the plans that you guys are chasing down are worthwhile for these communities? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure those things are in conflict. You know, people, I think I assume what you're saying when you say jobs, you're talking about the large job commitment projects that are like an attraction to New York State versus growth. Okay, so that's an important point. We have um, done a, a sort of reanalysis of our regional economy last year after fi- almost five years of the URI and how we're doing. An interesting stat that popped out to me is that in the nation, 80% of job growth happens from existing companies, right, which is sort of intuitive. Everybody knows small business is the engine to the growth of the economy. It's where all the jobs are. It's all where the job growth is. And, and it mostly it's not a creation of a new company that then brings a bunch of jobs to a community. Eighty percent comes from the existing business base. In New York State, it's 91 percent. So almost nine out of every ten jobs that are created in New York State come from an existing company. And if you look at the way, just look at the announcements of Empire State Development incentives that are deployed, it's probably pretty close to 90% of those go to existing companies that are creating 20 jobs, 30 jobs, 40 jobs. It's the rarity of the Amazon H2Q, you know, white whale that everybody chases that is the promise of 25,000 new jobs that didn't exist before. That's what gets all the attention for obvious reasons, and I don't really want to get into that debate, but the work of economic development at the local level, certainly at the county level, is to provide the support and incentives for your existing businesses to grow. Now, that's not every business, right? Most economic development is not going to be based on retail or restaurants or those, but especially at the state level, tradable sectors or public-private partnerships that have the ability to create an incubator where companies can grow like we're doing in Geneva with the tech farm. Those are the things. That's the balance to me. It's, it's the incentives to companies and the proactive work you're doing with your re- resources and your local partners to create an environment where someone with a great idea can go someplace and have it thrive or someone who's doing something and trying to change their business structure and trying to find out how they get into 3D printing. They have a resource they can go to that then gives them a magnet, a reason to do that work here as opposed to some other part of the world. That's the balance I see in economic development, combined with workforce development and placemaking. So now we've covered all four of those strategies we talked about at the beginning, where we're putting our investment and our resources in each of those places. And it's never equal, and certainly not equal in the attention it gets, but it's all incredibly important when you're trying to do what we're doing in upstate New York. And it sounds like what you're saying is there's there's a little bit of a mischaracterization going on with, with the idea that it's simply job chasing. Um, but how do you how do you sort of quell that concern when you're when you're talking to these folks in these communities who are saying, well, you know, it would be nice to land a land a, uh, an employer who's going to bring you know forty fifty jobs, but we take we take you know ten that are going to employ three to six. Then that's exactly what we do, and most of the time we're spending is with existing businesses that have an idea to grow, and we try to figure out how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. There's there's um, you know a lot of concern about companies that might look to either make their expansion somewhere else or leave and go somewhere else. And we spend a lot of time on doing that. It's not chasing jobs in terms of the new projects that we could try to solicit and bring to sites. I don't have any problem with that. I don't think we waste time at the expense of the other things. It is that we are, in many cases, unavailable or unable, not unavailable, unable to help a company that wants to create like two jobs, but if they don't have help to do that, they're going to lose 15. Because we're not in the business of managing decrease. We're trying to provide incentives to restore economic growth. And in a lot of the communities upstate, that's a very, very fine line. And that's one of the biggest challenges to me is it's not that we don't want to provide more support to smaller businesses. It's that we're not in the business of providing taxpayer dollars to keep someone even or to keep them you know, declining slower 
than they would otherwise. That's when the really difficult choices come into place, and that's where I would consider job chasing to be something that's frustrating, is trying to, you know, people don't realize how many layoffs we've prevented, you know, by having our incentives to push a company to do something it wouldn't otherwise do. You know, we quantify the URI. It's about 10,000 job impact in, if it's fully implemented. Only 4,000 of those are net new jobs. 6,000 are jobs that have already been retained by virtue of a company agreeing to grow and stay here or come here as opposed to what other decisions they might make if they didn't have that incentive. So sometimes we just don't appreciate that we're all trying to grow. We want this region to grow faster than it has because it has not been growing as fast as the national economy. But you never realize how much worse it could be. And that's a tough thing to chase. And that's maybe, I think, why you see people being critical when they see it. What they, what they see as a company maybe moving to a different part of the state or region. Um, or they see just people like me chasing the big whales and don't think we're doing the work with the businesses that are here. I, I, I get that criticism, but I don't think it's completely true if you look at the big picture of what we're doing. So let's talk about one of the what I what I think is uh, one of the shining examples of, of economic development and change uh, in the Finger Lakes, and that's the the solar home factory uh, in Geneva. Um, obviously, it's it's different. It's not what people are used to, um, but the the business or the, the business that Ryan Wallace and his family have been able to develop and, and the sort of uh, cultural change that they've been able to create in the process, is that the kind of example that you guys sort of look back at and say, this, this, is, this is the kind of thing that can happen if yeah. you know, people come together and grind on something? It is. It is exactly the type of, especially in the placemaking space, I know there's other benefits to that facility, but that's one of the more exciting DRI investments that have been made because it's a different way of approaching a need, which is different kind of housing for a different kind of market, and addressing the changing world and our climate and how to think of that differently. And so those are the kind of projects from a placemaking point of view that we invested through the DRI that we're seeing more, that the governor is going to be pushing further as he's now got all kinds of new ambitious plans related to um, energy and electricity and climate protection. Um, but that, that project is exactly the type of thing that is not seen as a traditional economic development project because it's primarily a housing product, right? Yeah. But it's an Empire State development investment through the DRI that that program allows us, mostly because the community organized around it and supported it, to make that investment. And so that is a perfect example of a, a different kind of investment the state's making that doesn't get a, the same level of attention as the job chasing projects per se. And one of the reasons why I brought that up is because we hear a lot of talk now, not just in not just in the, the metro area of Rochester and the suburbs, of course it's an issue there, but even throughout the Finger Lakes now it seems housing is is an issue. And it seems to be one of the pieces of this economic development puzzle that over the long term will need to be addressed one way or another um, if we're going to see these communities grow, whether it be because of a shortage in, in terms of housing stock or just a lack of, you know, development in the last couple decades. Yeah. What What is your, your sort of position on where that sits now regionally and what you would like to see, you know, sort of maybe change over the next five, ten years to make it a little more conducive? Yeah, housing is not um, the direct area of expertise for ESD. But of course. Yeah. I agree with your point. <laughs> it's enormously important in the grand scheme yeah. of how you can grow a region. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's multifaceted, right? It's how do you uh, address demand for different type of housing offerings and also not grow or sprawl without population growth. 
How do you deal with existing housing stock? How do you bring online mixed-use, multifamily offerings that are attractive to certain younger or older generations? Um, you know, and we work on it a lot in different projects. Um, obviously, our partners in homes, computer renewal, spend a lot of time addressing the affordability issue with regards to housing. Um, people who are low income or very low income and the, the limitations and the limited offerings they have. But I also spend a lot of time addressing mixed-use projects that build in market-level housing into places like downtown Rochester, where in the last 15 years the population of residents has tripled and it's about to go up by another 25% over the next couple of years when all of the new units come online. That's a whole new world compared to what downtown Rochester has been for the last 40 years. So you have to mix in all those things. You have to also get organized. A lot of communities have land banks to figure out how to address housing stock and property that is obsolete. It's never going to be what it was. You want to make sure you have adaptive reuse and infill projects where you can. You can't just keep going out and try to maintain that infrastructure and the same property tax pressures if you don't have population or business growth. So it's a multifaceted problem. There are many different state agencies and local agencies involved in it. But like everything else, like businesses, it's market-driven. And so you've really got to try to be smart about your planning efforts. And that's one thing I've learned over this job, whether it's strategic planning or land use. Planning is essential for government to have both a leadership and a galvanizing engagement role with the public to try to find that right balance on all of these issues. And, of course, uh, the, the Cherry Bundy situation is one that a lot of folks have locally felt a little bit of regret about. Yeah. Um, your thoughts on it uh, from the, the regional standpoint in terms of how this fits into the way you guys approach what you do? Well, I have no regret. I don't know that anybody would have regret. Disappointment without question, right? I mean, this was a company that was homegrown. Um, it was the, exactly the type of story we're trying to replicate with regards to that innovation ecosystem I talked about, right? You have a facility at the tech farm that's there and available to somebody who has a great idea in the food and ag space, they go there, they house there, they grow that idea, they start selling it to the New England Patriots and everybody else. They grow, they graduate out of that incubator facility into an old grocery store that closed. They're growing their market share, they're utilizing supply chain and crops from local farmers. And then one day you candidly get blindsided that they're moving. You understand it from a corporate perspective. You know, they're going to where the supply is more plentiful and cheaper. Um, but it's just a disappointment. It's also a reminder, while government takes a lot of credit and takes a lot of blame when things aren't going right in the economy, these are still private businesses that make their own decisions for market rate purposes, or market reasons, I should say. And the good news, if there is one here, is that the state taxpayer incentives didn't flow to that company because we, perform these, we, we provide these as performance-based incentives. And even though they did create jobs here and grow here for a little bit, they didn't reach all of the goals and the commitments that they said they were going to make before they decided to leave. So we haven't made a, a bad investment that we've lost out on. It's not to say that doesn't happen, but we, we restructured our programs to prevent this situation from being even worse. Um, so it's not a regret. You know, you, you, you're going to, in any kind of business, any kind of investment. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. We try to be smart about them. We try to build an ecosystem to replicate successes. Um, but it's a disappointment for sure because that was a business with promise in a space where we think we have strategic advantage. And unfortunately, Michigan grows more tart cherries than we do, even though we've got some farmers who've invested in that. And hopefully we'll still be able to use that company for their supply chain. Uh, but uh, it's a disappointment for sure. Cherry Bundy cited uh, some of the costs associated with doing business. 
um, in New York State. Is there any concern, uh, despite the best intentions and the best efforts um, from the folks in economic development, that when a company grows from that organic small business into a larger player, that some of the pressures because of the condition, the economic condition of the state uh, that's created in that environment, that it, they could just be too great and and some of them, like some of this type of turnover is just going to happen, unfortunately? There is. In a case like this, I'm not as concerned as I am with developing a, an environment where a company like that wants to start here in the first place. Because right. candidly, their cost pressures related to their supply chain, not right. necessarily doing business in New York. You know, we have programs that when a company gets to that they're generating revenue, they're generating a profit, and they want to start to scale. Mm-hmm. That's where the state's programs are. That's our sweet spot. Right. You know, we've got significant tax credits, power allocations, workforce training dollars. They can help a company scale once they know they have the workforce and the supply chain that's here. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm not afraid of these kind of scenarios happening. It's the cost side that either takes a site selector and says, I'm not even going to consider New York because I assume they're too high or there's too much regulation. Uh-huh. Or the guy with a great idea who's going to school in Cornell decides to go start that in an incubator in Wisconsin or Boston as opposed to here. But if we can get more people bringing those ideas here and address the cost barriers up front and the access to capital up front, we can use our incentives to compete on a cost basis. Now, labor rates are a different story across the state, excuse me, across the country. But labor rates in Michigan aren't any lower than they are here. That's not why they left. So there are legitimate points to be made about the cost of doing business here, especially when you factor in property taxes. But otherwise, we have tools at our disposal to combat the cost argument if a company understands the value proposition of being here in the first place. So, again, all the more reason why Chair Bundy was a disappointment, but I have no regrets in what we tried to do to help them, and I have full confidence if there's another company on the same path that we'll be able to help them. Finger Lakes Forward. Yeah. What does that mean today versus the first day that that uh, mantra was, was unveiled? It means the same thing. Finger Lakes Forward specifically relates to the strategic plan created by the Finger Lakes Regional Economic Development Council on how they see their growth opportunity for our region. And it has been the sort of logo, mantra, slogan we've used to obviously identify the plan, but also bring in a state of mind that we are a region on the move. We, we're moving forward. We had a great past. We you know, sometimes look at it a little too nostalgically, but we want to move forward. So it means the same thing. Five years later, we have now committed all $500 million of the URI plus all those other state programs I've talked about. And so we have over 100 projects in some form of implementation. Maybe a third of them, not even, are completed already, which means the vast majority are not reaching their conclusion or their potential economic impact. And so the state dollars haven't even gone out the door. So we still believe we are building momentum and that that plan and the commitments (laughs) that were made to it are literally the seeds that have been planted to start to change and grow the regional economy. So it means the same thing. We're now into the fifth year of that implementation, and I think momentum's starting to pick up. And even if you look at the regional job perspective or other indicators, because it's not just jobs, we look at four sort of key metrics, jobs, investment, wealth, and poverty. We're moving in the right direction in all of them, and I think the things that had been bringing us down, the decline of the manufacturing sector, has bottomed out in a way where these new technology companies, especially in agriculture and software and technology, are going to start to move the curve in a better in a better direction. My last question for you. Uh, it was the one we most commonly got heading into today. Um, 
lots of talk about budget deficits in Albany. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any reason to worry that that for one reason or another that the the funding stream for upstate and economic development and all these great programs and, and projects that you've been talking about is is running dry or that at some point it's going to run dry in the near future rather than being something that's embraced in the long term? Not on the economic development front. Um, the URI funding was already committed from previous budgets. Uh, the governor proposed, again, continuing the regional economic development councils with a full $750 million plus another $100 million for the DRI like we have for the last four rounds. So sort of the signature economic development initiatives that benefit upstate, there's no real concern. Of course, these are all subject to negotiation. Um, that the governor is wavering on his investment to those programs or that the legislature won't see the value in continuing them. Big picture, of course, the state's financial picture has an impact, particularly as you start to talk about taxes and revenues for different things. But the governor is still holding the line on reducing income taxes, continuing pressure on property tax caps, and now that's a permanent thing, but also providing more incentives for municipalities to stay underneath that. Of course, that creates challenges in other places, but he's recognized, I think, that we need to maintain the spending level and continue the investment level in a place like Upstate that still needs it. And you see it coming from new programs like the, the Lake Ontario program I mentioned before. So I'm not concerned about a, a slowing of the economic development programs in New York State. I am concerned about the general economic picture in our country, how the markets are doing, how the economy is doing, because we're building momentum, but that's still a very fragile thing at every level of communities in upstate New York. Um, And we need to make sure we're protecting and diversifying our economy as much as possible so that if we do, you know, see uh, some kind of economic downturn, we don't completely undo the progress that we've made, um, which is really just starting to catch hold in most places of upstate New York. All right, Vinny, appreciate the time. Thanks for coming in. It's nice to be back. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us this hour on Inside the FLX. I'm Josh Durso, and we'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, download the FingerLakes1.com app to have the latest local breaking news, alerts, and podcasts delivered right to your hand each and every day. Follow and subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can support us, head over to Patreon.com slash FL1 to pledge monthly support. If you have an idea for a show or simply want to let your voice be heard, drop us an email or leave us a voice message by visiting InsideTheFLX.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you back here next week.